How many of you have ever seen the Lone Ranger before? Lone Ranger, come on. Lone Ranger. Okay, all right. Some of you are just a little slow on the hand here, slow on the draw. And, and, and yeah, I love that little scene. I could never quite figure it out, but I love that little scene where you, you don't know who the Lone Ranger is because of why? Because he wears a mask. It just covers his eyes. That's it. It just covers his eyes. Never recognized the guy in the real world. But when he's got that mask, oh, my goodness, who is this man? And you've seen the scenes where he's on his horse. Right? What's his horse's name? Silver. There we go. And he's riding on Silver. And, of course, Tonto is right there in tow, and he's following him. And he's, he, there's, a, there's a woman. She's a, she started riding on a horse, and the horse got spooked, and off he goes. And he's there to rescue her, right? And he pulls her off the horse, and she says, she says who is that masked man? You know, all right, yeah. And it's like, I know who he is. Come on. It's, he's just got a mask on, right? I mean, the worst, the worst identity that's being hidden is, is, is like Superman, right? Clark Kent, right? I mean, he's just got glasses. You can see his eyes. He loses the little curl on the forehead, right? And we never know who he is. Same voice. I mean, come on, same build, Right? I mean, I know who this guy is, but nobody can figure it out, not even Lois Lane. But the masked man, who is this guy? You know what's interesting? God did a little bit better job in masking Jesus in the Old Testament. You remember that verse back there in Ephesians 3 where it says the mystery of the gospel was kept hidden for ages and generations but is now revealed by God's Spirit through his holy apostles and prophets. And so what happened was that in the Old Testament, passages like Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and so on. And, and if you've never read Isaiah 53, I'm going to encourage you to read that because that's Jesus masked. But if you pull the mask off like they do in the New Testament, oh my goodness, that's who it is. So when Jesus arrives on the scene, and, and he tries to take the mask off. People don't recognize him. And so God, God through Jesus, begins to do all of these things, miracles, teachings of truth. I mean, mind-blowing events, experiences. This Jesus that was masked in the old covenant, now revealed in the new, he, he stepped down into our history. Got it? When, when he is revealed to us, like through the gospel of Mark, which we're going to be studying, he steps down into history. It's not just some theological truths. It's not like Aristotle you know, and Socrates and, and all those guys with their philosophical ideas that they're just ideas. But it is the idea, the logos, the word of God, that, the word that reveals the heart of the Father, the mind of the, that's what words do, right? They reveal the mind of, in this case, the Father. And that logos, Jesus, stepped down into my history. He walked on this earth. As we go through this gospel according to Mark, and I don't know right now how many weeks that's going to be, but as we do this, we are going to see God stepping down into real live history. Not just some philosophical ideas on the pages of the past, but real life history events. Jesus came 
to show us the way, not just tell us the way. Amen? And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at this Jesus, and he is the very focus of what the Bible calls the gospel. The gospel is the good news or a good message. The gospel is the good news. The focus is Jesus, so it's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, personally, I think that good news is nice when there's so much bad news. Terrorist plots, gun shootings in schools, that's some bad news. Political deceptions for personal gain. Abortions, anger that destroys relationships, unforgiveness, selfishness, and general unwillingness to help the weak. You see, mankind is trapped in his sinful lifestyle, and he's unable to set himself free. And so today, you know, we need some good news. How are we going to get out of this sin that we are all held captive to? How do we get out of that and be able to walk in this amazing plan that God actually created me for? But I can't do it. See, the bad news is not only can Pastor Mike not do it, neither can you. The good news is that there is a way, and that way stepped down into my history, our history, Today we need some good news, some hope that things can and will get better. You're not going to find it on Fox News instead of CNN. You're going to find it in Jesus Christ. So that, for that reason, we're going to be studying the good news. The good news isn't just John 3.16. Actually, John 3.16 is in, uh, wait a second, what gospel again? Right, it's not in Mark. And, but we're still going to be studying the gospel, the good news, because the gospel is more than just an idea. It's more than just a plan. It is a person who came to not just tell me the way, but show me the way. Mark, the main character in this gospel, in this book here, is Jesus. Everyone and everything else is peripheral. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and old King Herod and Pontius Pilate, peripheral. The woman caught in adultery, the man, the widow's son that was raised from the dead in the city of Nain, the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years and touched the hem of Jesus' garment and was healed, they're all peripheral. Jesus is the center. The 12 disciples, Mark and some people say Mark is found in the Gospels. His name just isn't given. I won't tell you where you find him. You'll have to look that one up. But even Mark is peripheral. Peter is peripheral. The tradition comes to us that Mark wrote his Gospel. And this is through Papias, who wrote in 140 AD. Irenaeus, who wrote in 185 AD. <coughs> that Mark was kind of like a secretary for Peter, a disciple of Peter, followed him. He followed him to Rome. Peter was preaching. 
And <coughs> both Papias and Irenaeus say that what Mark wrote down <coughs> was the preachings of Peter, and they both acknowledge not in chronological order. Which for us, when we think of history, we think, well, what do you mean not in chronological? I mean, that's like the main purpose of history, isn't it? No, it's not. The main purpose of history, whether you're aware of it or not, is to teach us something. For that reason, you will always find a bias in any history book. You will. And there's no, Mark is no different. But Mark wrote these down, perhaps not in chronological order, but both Papias and Irene say this, but accurately. In as much as we can say inspired of God, even infallible and inerrant, without error. That much inspired by the Spirit of God. This is what's handed down to us as far as how and why Mark wrote his gospel. Because Mark was not an eyewitness of everything that he wrote. He may have seen some of it, we don't know. Peter certainly did. And he got it through Peter. <coughs> I want to read to you from Mark's gospel, the first chapter one, the first 20 verses. We're not going to cover all of those. Actually, we're just going to cover the very beginning, the very beginning. <coughs> so let's start at the beginning. It's a very good place to start, I understand. Here we go. Verse one, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. For what again, church? For the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So it wasn't just a baptism. It was the confessing of their sins. Baptism then was an outward sign of that. You follow. And so this is what John does. He was called to be John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. John wore clothes made of camel's hair stylish with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and what wild honey this is a pretty strange dude just so you know but he came with a message and it says in this was his and this was his message listen after me will come one more powerful than i the thongs of whose sandals i am not worthy to stoop down and untie I baptize you with water or in water, but he will baptize you with or in. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized <clears throat> excuse me, by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw a heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And once the spirit led him, excuse me, sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. 
after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. This is what he says. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news, the gospel. As Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, and I want you to underscore that phrase, at once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, some of this we're going to be looking at next week. And I'm kind of wondering what was going through uh, Zebedee's sons when his sons just heard Jesus say, hey, come follow me. And they said, hey, Dad, we gotta, we got to split. we got to get out of here and left his father in the boat. I'm, gonna, I'm kind of wondering why they did that. But today, we're going to be focusing on this beginning of the gospel, actually today and next week. Mark introduces this as the beginning of the gospel. This is just the beginning. This is like the introduction. How many of you, let's be honest, when you read a book, you skip the introduction? Come on. Come on. Yeah, we skip the introduction. We might just kind of, I never read the foreword. I mean, when you come to the page, it says forward, so that's what I do. Yeah, so I come to the introduction, and I'm thinking, okay, this introduction's like 10 pages. I don't need to read this, really. But I'm going to tell you that this introduction, which lasts for the first probably 13 verses, depending on when he actually starts chapter 1, This introduction is absolutely crucial because it reveals to us the gospel, the good news that is about a person. And that's what the whole book is about. But he introduces Jesus, first of all, as, what's his last name? Jesus Christ, right. That wasn't Joseph's last name, by the way. Joseph Christ, uh, no. Mary Christ, no. uh -uh. Jesus the Christ. Okay, Christ is Greek for anointed one. So what we're going to have to do is we're going to go back into the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, which was written in, uh, what language again was that? Hebrew, that's right. A little bit in Aramaic, but Hebrew. And we find this word, Mashiach, which, which we translate, of course, Messiah. Which is the, same, it's the Hebrew word for Christ. So Jesus the Messiah. You see, Jesus, the Messiah in the Old Testament, he had his mask on. We didn't quite, the Jews, when they read him, yeah, I don't know, who is this man? Yeah, I don't know. And, but even when Jesus came on this earth, it took them a long time, and we're going to find people repeating this phrase, who is that guy? Who is this who calms the storm? Who is this that walks in the water? Who is this that casts out demons? Who is this with such power? And who is this? And that word, that question is going to be repeated, and we're going to repeatedly find the answer. But who is this? He's the Messiah. That was Peter's confession, right? When when Jesus said, well, who do you think I am? Oh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so Mark says, 
this Jesus is that guy that was masked in the Old Testament, and I'm taking the mask off. I want you to see who he is. And so this is Jesus unmasked. Mark's gospel is Jesus unmasked. And he begins with this title. You see that title right there in verse 1? Right after Christ, the Son of God. So this week, I am preaching on Jesus, the Son of God. And next week, I am preaching on Jesus, the Son of God. Just so you don't get confused, right? But that's how this title comes with Jesus, the Son of God. Capital G, capital O, capital D, if you will. Emphasis, God. And then, when he picks up in, with his baptism, the focus is not on the fact that he is God, but the fact that he is the Son of God. So let's start there. After all, this is the introduction, and of course, everybody reads the introduction, right? But it is important. I remember w- I wrote one book, and my, my wife has written like a thousand of them. Um, but I have a little introduction in my book. It's like four pages long. If you want to purchase the book, it's in the back, but please read the introduction. It's important. Introductions are there for a reason. Here's Mark's reason. He wants you to know who this Jesus is. He is theologically taking the mask off, and then for the entire rest of the book, he's going to show you who this Jesus is. He's first going to tell us, and then he's going to show us. So here's what he wants to tell us first, that Jesus is the Son of God. So let's look at this. And what's the importance, what's the significance of this concept? Jesus is the Son of God. Now, he, it says that he gives us a quote from Isaiah. Here is our problem. This is actually two quotes from the Old Testament. The second one is from Isaiah, but the first one is not. The first one is from that you know, Italian composer, which is, that's right, Malachi, right. Malachi, to say it right, if you were wondering. Malachi chapter 3 is where we get this first quote. Now, it is very, understand, like when we, you think of history, history has to be in chronological order. No, it doesn't. N- not for the way they thought back then. You, you would tell history to teach people by using themes. So Mark uses the, the certain themes to, and then uses the stories woven in and out of them, and they're not in necessarily chronological order. Though for the most part, the earlier things in Jesus' ministry happened in the beginning, the middle things in the middle, and the last things, well, I'll let you figure that one out. And so... He, he, he takes this concept of history, and, and it's not according to your definition, sorry. And, and same with this idea when he says it is written in Isaiah the prophet. We expect it, that it's all going to be from Isaiah, but a very, it was very common in that day. If you were going to quote several prophets, you would say, let me quote from Isaiah since he would be the more well-known prophet, and then you might quote from lesser-known prophets. And then you would quote from Isaiah. And so he simply gives us the name of the more well-known prophet. So as long as we got that understand, this is not an error. This was very customary. And so he shows us this prophecy. And that's what my concern is. Let's look at this prophecy. 
Malachi gives us this prophecy around 400 to 450 years before Jesus shows up on the scene. Isaiah, closer to 700 years. This is what Malachi says. The very beginning, verse 2. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Now, do you see the three players or characters in that verse? The first one is in the first person singular, I. I will send my messenger ahead of you. So I, you, and my messenger. Three, three players. Who is the I? I think we can kind of figure that one out without even looking it up. I is God, God the Father. He's speaking to someone, and we're going to have to figure out who that is. But he's going to send somebody ahead of you, ahead of whoever he's speaking to. He's going to send his messenger ahead of them. I mean, that's generally what a message does, right? A messenger goes ahead, you know, before the, the king actually gets to his city. He's conquered another city. The message comes, the king won. The king defeated. You know, and it's good news. And so this messenger is coming ahead of you. Who will prepare your way. Now, we can understand right away who this messenger is. Mark uses it as the introduction. God who is seated on his throne, the father creator of all, is sending his messenger, who we find out is John the Baptist, to prepare the way for God's son, Jesus Christ. John the Baptist. How is he described? Just look in your Bible right there. A couple verses later, how is he described? He, he, he's, he sticks out like a sore thumb in culture. He would certainly do that in ours. He did it then. He wore camel's hair. Can you say, ow, how uncomfortable is that? I, I wore this shirt, and I forgot this morning just how uncomfortable this shirt is. It's, uh, it's itchy. I don't like it. He wore camel's hair. As if you see me going like this during the sermon, it's because this shirt is so... Un anyway, so he is, he is John the Baptist... Is he wears camel's hair? Is he just trying to show what a tough man he is? And a leather belt. Yep, that's it. Camel's hair for clothing, a leather belt. But you see, he comes as God's messenger, and we immediately know what his mission is. Because people would read this and say, oh my goodness, there is only one other man in all of Scripture, who dressed so unfashionably as John did, and that is Elijah the prophet, specifically said to wear camel's hair and a leather belt. If you were go to go to the end of the book of Malachi, one more chapter, the quote here is from chapter 3, but if you go to chapter 4, we're introduced to Elijah, and that another will come, another Elijah will come, that is in the spirit of Elijah. And he is going to restore all things. When, Je when Jesus, Jesus and his closest three, um, John, James, Peter, who witnessed Jesus' transformation, when they're coming down from the mountain, 
they start into this discussion. You know, the, the Pharisees say that uh, Elijah is going to come and restore all things. Is this true? Jesus, excuse me, Jesus affirmed that, yes. But that John the Baptist was this Elijah. He came to restore all things. He came to prepare the way. He was himself the introduction, if you will. And Jesus was the main event, the main story. This introduction lasts just a few verses. The ministry of John, just a few verses. Because it all points to Jesus, the son of God. So, John the Baptist is saying, hey guys, I'm simply a messenger. I'm pointing the way to Jesus. He's the main star. He's the main event. All history points to him, and I'm just simply do, doing that. I'm not even worthy to touch his sandals. Not even worthy. He comes, John that is, preaching repentance for, the, for forgiveness. Repentance for forgiveness. Now, I don't know if you can see this or not. Maybe I should pull these back here a little bit so you can see. I hope this works. But this, this book right here is a ledger. It's black for a very good reason. It represents the ledger of my life. A ledger of darkness, a ledger of sin, a lifestyle that is in rebellion against God. John the Baptist came to tell me, put the ledger down and turn away from it. That's what he told us to do. The unanswered question, though, is turn to what? I've put the book down. I've turned, I've confessed my sins. I have repented and turned from it, but turned to what? And that's what Jesus came to tell us. All of us are sin addicts. All of us have hurt the very heart of God. And because of this, we need to be able to have this record here expunged from our life. We cannot hang on to this and say that I repent of it, put it down and take it up and do this. He tells us, put the book down, set it down. That record that's against you, set it down. Turn from it, repent, and turn to dot, dot, dot. Yeah, John, John, turn to, just repent of your sins. That's what he came preaching. And the question then is, if I'm going to turn from it, where do I turn to? And Jesus then comes on the scene. Jesus, he didn't just say repent. You remember what he said there in verse 15? The time has come. You're not just going to set the record down, repent and get, confess your sins and be forgiven. But he says repent and believe in the good news. The good news is who Jesus is and what he accomplished. I'm going to tell you about it. Who is this Jesus? He's the third player here, if you will. Third character. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Your way. 
Who's, who's way, church? Help me. Your way. And who is your? Who is you? Who, prepare your way. You, Father, is speaking to you. And he's sending John the Baptist to prepare your way. Who did John the Baptist come? Whose way did, G, did John the Baptist prepare? He prepared Jesus' way. So do you see that? So we see the Father, we see John the Baptist, and we see Jesus. Aren't those the three main players that he talks about in these first few verses? So he says that this messenger is going to prepare your way. And who is you in your way? Who is it? Jesus. Thank you. That's right. Then we move on to Isaiah's prophecy. And Isaiah says this, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, whose way was John the Baptist calling in the desert to prepare? Whose way? Jesus' way, right? The way of the Lord. And who is the Lord? Now, follow me on this, because if you miss this, you're going to miss the very heart of what John, excuse me, Mark is trying to tell us. We found out from our friend Malachi that the way uh, uh, was the way of Jesus. Jesus' way. Jesus' ministry. John was preparing that. Voice of one calling in the wilderness. Who was that? John the Baptist. Prepare the way of the Lord. The way of who? Of the Lord. And, and who is that? Someone said it. Jesus. All right. Prepare the way of Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. Someone who can look it up real quickly. Go to Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3. Go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. In your Bible, go to Isaiah 40, verse 3. And it reads just like this, except as you read it, you kind of come across this word Lord. And it's, it looks different, doesn't it? Are you looking there in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3? It looks different. The word Lord looks different. It's in all caps. Do you know why? Because when it's capital L, small o-r-d, that is the Hebrew word, ka-adonai, the Lord. No big deal, the Lord. But when you come across Lord in all capital letters, that is a very gracious way to say Yahweh. If you were to look up in your Hebrew Bible, you wouldn't see L-O-R-D, of course, because it's Hebrew, not English. Other than that, you would find Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. So the Jews would, instead of pronouncing Yahweh, which they felt was very sacred, they would just say, Ha'adonai, Lord. And that's the tradition that has been kept. What, I, what Mark is telling us, he is starting in the very beginning of the, the beginning of the gospel. I want to unveil, I want to take the mask off this Jesus the Christ, who's the son of God. Whose way was he supposed to, pre John the Baptist supposed to prepare for? Jesus' way. Preparing the way for Jesus. But when you look at the passage, who is the Lord? It's Yahweh. Share that with some of your Jehovah's Witness friends. Yahweh is a different way of saying Jehovah. Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus isn't just the son of God, he's the son of God. Here's the significance of this. When people in my apologetics class, we, certain times we would 
talk about this major question that I'm sure all of us have thought about. And my answer, by the way, you'll see how it fits. This is the question. Why would an all-loving, all-powerful God allow evil in this world? Why would he do that? If he's all-loving, then why would he allow us to sin and murder and steal and rape and hurt? Is that really all loving? And if he's all powerful, why doesn't he stop it? Now, the answer is is somewhat long, but it's very simply this. God's not the one who broke the law. We were. And God had to give us that opportunity to decide who we will serve because that is at the very heart of love. And if there's no free will or free choice in love, it's not love. When I proposed to my wife, I didn't do it with a gun to her head. That is not, some of you think that because she said yes. That is not why she said, right, right, yeah. That's not why she said yes. And it's not because of all this money that I had. (laughs) Yeah, I I laugh at that one. Um, She was, for some reason, she was wonderfully deluded and said yes But it was not because I had a gun to her head. She had free choice to look at me and say, what? Are you serious? (laughs) But she was gracious enough, and she said yes, because she made a choice to love me. And I made a choice to love her with all my heart. But I gave her that free choice. There was no gun to her head. I gave her that free choice. She could choose to love me or kick me to the curb. But she wonderfully loved me and said yes. We, back in history, made a different decision and chose to kick God to the curb. We said, thank you, but no thanks. We said, I want to choose my way rather than your way. And this thing called sin entered into the human race, and it broke everything. Everything. It broke it. And God looks down from heaven with, you might say, a dilemma on his hands. And he's saying, how can I take this broken world and restore it? Now, he sends John the Baptist as a precursor pointing us to the restorer, Jesus. But you see, in our free will, we chose not to love God but to sin instead, and a curse fell upon mankind. Why does God permit evil? Well, guys, let's, let's start with square one. It's not. And we now, with that free choice, make a decision to lay down our sin and to follow Jesus and the new life that he gives to us. Now, here's how God did that. God, and and, and people, when they ask that question, a sincere, at least most people are sincere with their question, really wanting an answer, here's where we end up, that God has a solution, and that solution is that the God of heaven stepped down into history. He chose to step into my suffering. He chose in order to rescue me 
to become like me. That blows my mind. Why would you want to take on the flesh of humanness with all of its weakness and frailties? And why would you even want to spend 33 some odd years living in the brokenness of this world? Let me tell you how broken that world was for Jesus. Now, because I've mentioned this, I'll be brief. When Jesus stood at Lazarus' tomb and everyone was weeping, did he not know that in a matter of minutes he was going to raise one of his closest friends from the dead? After all, Jesus could have kept him from dying by just coming and healing him, and he wouldn't have had to die, but he chose to allow Lazarus to die. And now he laid for four days in a tomb, and he knows that he's going to raise him from the dead. And yet when Jesus is gathered there, it says, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And I'm going to tell you, it wasn't because Jesus was a sympathetic crowd. Jesus wept because that death touched him personally. This is the Jesus who at age 12, like every good little Jew, Jewish boy, came under his father's tutelage. His father was a carpenter. Some say mason because of how the Greek can be translated. I, let's not worry about that. Let's just say, okay, he was a carpenter for the sake of argument. Jesus, was a, Jesus' father, Joseph, was a carpenter. And at age 12, he had his schooling now took a different form. He is now going to spend hours in the shop of his dad, Joseph, learning Joseph's trade. And Mark tells us in chapter 6 that Jesus was a carpenter. So Jesus took this trade upon himself, learned it from his father, and for years and years and years, he became proficient at carpentry. Now, why am I talking about this? For years, he built this relationship with his dad. For years, every time he went into that shop, his dad was probably one of his closest, probably his closest friend. But when we come to the gospel of Mark, in any gospel, Joseph is found nowhere on the scene. His dad is gone. It's just his mom, brothers and sisters. And at some point, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, lost his dad. Jesus, who is God, did not raise his dad from the dead. Death, the result of my sin, took his dad. Just like death took Lazarus. But you see, Jesus was able to raise Lazarus. God the Father did not show him to do that to preserve his life. He lost him. He lost his best friend. So when, when Jesus is standing before the tomb of Lazarus, and he has chosen to feel that type of pain, losing the closest person in his life, do you think he did that because it was just a really cool idea? God, I've got a Father, I've got a really awesome idea. Why don't I just take on human flesh? And the Father would have looked at him and said, do you understand what you're asking, son, you're going to have to step down and you're going to have to suffer the cruelty and the pain of the brokenness that my creation has experienced just so that you can set them free from this. Just so that you can offer them this forgiveness of sin, newness of life, the kingdom of God. Is that really what you want to do? And Jesus, 
surrendered himself to God. He stepped down into it. Jesus, the son of God, stepped down into my pain. He became man. For what purpose? To rescue me from my sins. Because here's the truth. We made a choice. There is some analogy here to the princess bride in which, remember, she jumps into eel-infested waters of her own accord. Eel-infested water, that doesn't, that doesn't help us. So these are shark-infested waters, okay? Now that's dangerous. You've got to cut and you just jump overboard into shark-infested waters. That is where you are. Apart from Christ, you are shark food. You are shark bait. You have jumped over. You're bleeding. They are swarming you. They are ready to devour you. And you are crying out for help. Someone rescue me. And someone comes along in their boat and throws you a line. And at the end of that line is just this hunk of wood, a lot like the one behind me here. And you grab a hold of that. And he pulls you out of the shark-infested water. That is you and me. That is the rescue plan. This sin was devouring me. See, this is my wrath. You all have a wrath. But this is my wrath. And it stood against me. And it was a ball and chain in my life because I was a slave to my sin. I could not rescue myself. I couldn't do any. I don't care how many self-help books in the top ten list that I could read. They, they never could rescue me. And then Jesus came and said, turn your back on that and turn to me. And this is what I've done for you. And he's given me his righteousness. And I believed in him. He offered me this new life into this new kingdom. And Jesus offers us this plan. We're going to talk about how the spirit plays a part in that new kingdom next week. We've talked about it a lot. But you know what? Jesus came to offer us this amazing new life. In this kingdom, he says here, the kingdom of God is near. And the only reason why it's near and not here is because you need to repent of your sin, turn, and now embrace Jesus Christ to receive the kingdom. And he has given you a kingdom, and my Bible tells me that there are two kingdoms in this world. And you need to make a choice who, which kingdom you will serve in. But right now, there's a kingdom of darkness. Satan is the ruler of that kingdom. He's the ruler of the power of the air. You are, a tr you are entrapped by him. You are enslaved by him. You are his slave. That is the picture of Egypt and the Israelites in Egypt. But there's another kingdom, and that kingdom is the kingdom of God. And that is what Jesus came to reveal to us this new kingdom so that he, as the king, we might be able to enter into that kingdom and receive all of its inheritance. It is our very own. It is a whole new lifestyle. It is not just repent and believe. That's the introduction. If you are, if you are a saved Christian, if you're born again, if you've repented and believed, that's just the introduction. There's a whole book that you need to read. There's a whole lifestyle in the kingdom of God that you're going to need to read about. And you're going to now be invited to live. And that's what the book of Mark does. And it lays it out. This is the kingdom of God. With Jesus as the king. 
and he came to set you free from that darkness, to lift you up out of those shark-infested waters. Once you're up out of the water, don't dive back in. How many times do we do that, right? We embrace the new kingdom. And we embrace the king of this new kingdom, Jesus Christ, who came to rescue us and set us free. We were born into the kingdom of darkness that Satan ruled. We were born into that. Sinful from my mother's womb, from the time my mother conceived me. Sin was my life. It had a hold on me that I could not get free from. And by Jesus Christ, I have been born into a new kingdom. This all-loving, all-powerful God has laid before you a choice. We have all made the wrong choice, and the result of it is that we continue to live under this heavy weight of a curse in which death is upon us sickness and broken relationships and heartache. Jesus came so that you might be offered a different gospel, a new one, the good news, the gospel that is all about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who stepped out of heaven from his throne to take on frail human flesh, just like you and just like me. He entered into my pain and your pain to rescue you, to call you out of darkness into his marvelous light in whom is forgiveness of sins. Will you stand right now? And I want to ask you this question. It is a given that you have been born into darkness, into sin. That's the bad news. You can't escape it. It is a part of your life. But Jesus came to birth you into a new kingdom and a new life. But you were born with the ability to make a decision. To choose to love the darkness or to choose to love the light. And if you're going to choose to hate the darkness and love the light, that choice means you repent and believe. That choice means that you turn away. That's what repent means. Repent of my sins and confess them. Lay them down. Lay them down. You got that. And believe and embrace Jesus, the king of this new kingdom. If you've never done that, and again, this is just the introduction, a whole new lifestyle with Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you've been playing games with God and you have never truly repented and believed, square one, let's start there. Before we go any further, let's get this right. Jesus, the Son of God, came to rescue Father, you're good. I don't understand why you chose to love me when I made the choice to 
to love myself, to love the things of this world, to love my addictions, to love you and not love you. I don't know why you still love. I don't know why you pursued me. I don't know why you stepped out of your heaven and all the glories that were yours, Jesus, into my pain, into my suffering, to rescue me. I don't get it, but that's what you did. I choose you this day, whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Today, God, may we choose to serve you turning our backs on ourselves and turning to you, Jesus, and saying, God, just come right now and ravage our hearts. Undo it, ruin it, upend it. Sin, gone, washed away. Undo us, God. Show us Jesus today. Take the mask off. Let us see Jesus as the Son of God who stepped into my pain. Let me make this choice stir in my heart, in our hearts today. God, I will choose to follow you and I will turn my back on the things of this world. But God, I tell you what, I can't leave them. They, they, I am addicted, I am, I'm, I'm entangled and I am ensnared and I am enslaved and I need you, God. Throw me that lifeline. Throw me the cross as I trust in you step now into my life and change this wicked heart of mine. Please, God. Spirit of God, anyone here, anyone who does not know Jesus, may they now even be, right now, be saying in their hearts, surely, God, this is this place. Show them Jesus. Show them the way. We pass these words of mine by. Spirit of God, speak to hearts right now. Show us Jesus. The God who stepped into my life and my pain. Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. You are so awesome and amazing. We surrender to you. our heart. Change me.